Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. We are going to begin um, with Parsha Noach this week. Uh, a, a new, as we mentioned last week, you know, we're going to try to figure out different pieces of this Parsha that you might not be as familiar with. So we're not going to talk about the ark. We're not going to talk about, you know, how the animals came on two by two. We're not going to talk about the rainbow. We're not going to talk about those things that you might know as well. But we are going to talk about a part of our Parsha. And for this, I'm going to share my screen for our visual learners out there. We are going to talk about a part of the Parsha right after the ark has has landed and everyone has disembarked, right? Everyone has left the ark. We've also heard a bunch of names of, of um, Noah's lineage, right? The people who come after Noah, because the idea is that everyone was on this ark and then the world was repopulated based on the life that came off of the ark. So the line that we chose today is from chapter 9, verse 20, and it says, Vayachel Noach ish ha'adama vayita karem, which means, and Noah was a man of, of the earth, and Vayachel, it could mean, it says here, the tiller of soil, um, but it actually doesn't necessarily define what Vayachel means. Does it mean that he came off the boat, like that he landed? Does it mean, sorry, someone's in the waiting room. Does it mean that he established himself? What does it mean? It's not really defined so clearly here. But we know that he is now the man of land. He's a man of land. And he plants a vineyard. Vaita is to plant. And then we're going to look at the second line just so that we can have a little bit of context for what happens next, though we're not going to spend as much time speaking to the story that, that happens following this moment. It says, Vayesht min hayayin, vayishkar vayitgal betoch ohala. So he drank from the wine and he became drunk and he uncovered himself Within, it says here, his tent, it's really her tent. So there's a lot to ask about what happened in that moment, but what we are going to focus on today is this vineyard. He comes off of a very long journey with all of these animals, with the members of his family that were around. He comes off, the world is about to start all, all anew and hopefully bright and shiny and better than it was before. And he's all of a sudden this man of the earth, and that means that he is going to start by planting a vineyard. And then we see the results of him planting a vineyard, which is that he drinks of the grapes that he's planted, he drinks wine, and he becomes drunk. So Rabbi Shapiro is going to kind of take us through being able to ask some questions about these lines. Um, and then we'll get into some of the some of the uh, commentary, some of the learning behind it. Great. So we'll we'll go forward with this um, in a similar manner to the way Rabbi Schatz guided us through it uh, last week. So we're going to leave those verses up. I mean, we're, we're I'll say it like this: the the verse that caught my eye 
in a particular way was verse 20, but I, I'm kind of thinking of this, 20 is a short verse, so I'm kind of thinking about it as verses 20 and 21. Looking, looking at those verses, right, what, what are the kushiot? What are the sort of probing questions that come to mind for you in terms of understanding a little... Rabbi Schatz, you have way too many tabs open. You should, you should really, you know, it's, it's going to slow down your CPU. You should really work on that. Um, that's that's my tech support tip of the day. I, I appreciate um, all tech support. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> you always provide so much to us. So I think, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, what are the, the probing questions, the questions that, that you're kind of curious in looking at these verses to know, to know, more, to know more about or that are unclear to you? Or that sort of strike you as as you're as you're looking at these verses, Renee. I see Renee digitally raised her hand, so we'll go with Renee. And then Karen is physically raising her hand, but we're in I a digital world. I finally figured out. I so finally figured out how to do it. Trumps. There you go. Excellent. Okay, so I have several questions. Can I just Wait. shoot them all at you at the same time? Because I happened to look at the verse yesterday, and so several things occurred to me. First of all, the two brothers that the two sons that covered him, did they not see him? Uh, naked and did Canaan get cursed just because Han saw Noah naked and he didn't act to do anything like why did it go to skip that generation and was Ham involved in getting him drunk great so so those are all great questions why did Ham's sons get cursed and not Ham himself great those are all great questions and I think Half of one of those questions are on the verses that we're focusing in on. Um, so what, so what I will say is the, the one in, in an effort to try to hone in on those two verses, right? Verses 20 and 21. Um, what I would say is there, there are some like ambiguous verbs, right? When, and, and verbs happen quickly in this story, right? Even in, even in the relatively terse language of the Torah, there's a lot of verbs that happen really quickly in these two verses and in the verses that follow, which is interesting. And it's not always clear what the, what the antecedent of the, of the verb itself is, right? So what I hear you naming is in that verse that says, or, uh, right. Those more ambiguous uh, verbs, potentially like who, who is the one, right, who planted the karam, right? We, you could maybe say, since we don't hear a direct antecedent there, you can maybe ask that question a little bit, right? Who's who's the primary mover kind of in this story, which is, yeah, for sure. Karen and then Ilan. No, Karen passes, passes. Okay, Ilan. Yeah, is the point of verse 21 that it's okay to drink in moderation, but if you drink too much and become sloppy drunk, you're going to do something stupid? Great, great, great question. Lots to wonder about what these verses are indicating to us about drinking, about wine, about our our conduct and relationship to to sort of potential behavior that might arise out of that. Great, absolutely. Denise. Um, so I was struck by where it says that he was um, that he was a person of the earth because he's just coming off a boat and he's been surrounded by water. And so it just made me think like, 
I don't know, it's like very humanizing. Like that must have been a hard thing for him to be in that situation where maybe he really didn't want to be, but there was like no choice. Yeah. So for, I'm not sure it's a question, but it just kind of jumped out at me. For, that, for like, sure. But I feel like that's the, the fact that it points that out because really whatever happened in the narrative is not dependent on telling us that he was a man of the earth, but then, it, but it tells us. So I felt like that had some kind of significance. Yeah. A, a, a really nice spotlighting of that phrase in relationship to the Prakim that have come before, mm-hmm. right? We've just heard about how Noah was on this boat for an extended period of time. And here it's Davka naming him as Ish Ha'adama. Mm-hmm. Right. If 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 you were just the boating guy, now you're the land guy. Right. What what's going on there that that he's being specifically named in that way? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It's a, it's a great it's a great uh, phrase to highlight in that way. Yes, Jay. Um, the two things that came into my head were the first one was why immediately after you have been on a boat and you know you've survived the flood, the first thing you want to do is plant a vineyard. Right. And the second thing was he uncovered himself within his tent, who was in the tent with him, and was this something immoral? Right. Two, two, two great questions. One is, why is that the action he takes? Right. Why, why does that uh, seem to have a, a priority for Noah? And then going to the end of that second verse, what's, what's the context of that tent? right? Who else was in there? Was that an intentional thing he did, an unintentional thing that he did, right? Like what's, what's happening sort of in the context of, of that tent that, that, that happened. Beautiful. Um, other questions that are coming to mind for folks as we're looking at, at these verses. All, all, yeah. Neora. Yeah. Neora. Yes. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. But you're muted. So I can't hear you, but I saw you waving. <laughs> Yes. Okay, there oh, we there go. go. Sorry. Because <laughs> I could, I was still in the screen sharing. I couldn't find the unmute button. Um, so I'm kind of wondering if there's other meanings for tent. Does it have a wider, can have a wider meaning? Because I'm trying to understand what's wrong that he was, you know, getting undressed in his tent. Is it, was it a communal thing that anyone could walk in? So it's, should right. be known that it's inappropriate or what is the meaning of a tent in that time, basically? Right. Great. You you would imagine that when someone goes home at the end of the day, th- that they would change their clothes before they go to bed, right? That that's that's a pretty normal thing to do, right? So so what is it specifically that is or is not problematic about that, right? Why name that specifically as something that's happening? Great question. Great, Nancy. Yes, and then Jackie. So I'm wondering why it was important to tell us he was the first to plant a vineyard. There aren't that many people around. Why didn't it just say Noah planted a vineyard? Right. So that, that, that verb vayachel is an, is an interesting one. I don't, I don't know if Rabbi Schatz has anything queued up on that, but, but I was doing a little bit of exploration um, on that. It's an interesting verb, right? Why specifically? And, and it's, it's an interesting, it's a funky verse, right? You could just say, Right, Vayitan Noah Karem. Right, Noah planted a vineyard. Why? Why the Vayachel? 
why call him Isha Adama, right? Why call him a, a person of the land, right? The, the verse itself, it, it seems to have unnecessary words, but like, like any good rabbinic Jews, we of course know through the lens of the rabbis, there is no, there is no word, there is no letter, there is no jot or tittle in the Torah that is there extraneously. So it's got to mean something, right? It's got to mean something and we got to try to figure out what it might be and, and why it might be interesting or compelling for us. Great. Great. Jackie, and then I think maybe we'll, we'll pivot to exploring these, these verses a, a little more through some of the sources that, that Rabbi Schatz and I uh, were exploring. Yeah, Jackie. I think the timeline is really interesting because you've got Noah planted and then he drank the wine and got drunk. Like you're missing a lot of time in, or it's magic wine, or it's like Jack and his magic beans. Like chances are there's like this giant chunk of time that's like missing in here. Yeah. Right. What happened in the meantime, right? I am not a vintner. Vintner, is that, is that the right noun? Uh, I, I have never made wine. Uh, even even in the time of COVID, that's that's not a hobby that I have explored. Um, maybe Rabbi Schatz, after uh, now that she's she's finished up with her sourdough starter, she can she can explore the opportunity. Um, but yeah, what what where what happens in the ellipsis? Right, it takes a little time um, for for that to, for that to happen. And so, what happens in the meantime? Great, great. It's also, it's all, if I can just add a question, um, that it's also really interesting. You don't plant a vineyard, right? Like you, you don't start by planting a vineyard, right? You don't plant a forest, you plant a tree. So it is also interesting that when you say planted a vineyard, right? As Jackie's pointing out, there's a, there's a lot of time that's missing because, well, the, supposedly there were like seeds or something that you started this with and then there was a vineyard and then there were grapes and then there was wine. Um, but it seems in the story to be that it's, that it's all smushed together into one very itty bitty time period. Right. Okay, Bonnie, I'll let you ask a question too. <laughs> I just, okay. After all that, so maybe it doesn't ever say, but maybe on the ark along with the animals, they also took all of the different plants in soil so that when yep. they eventually came out, they can plant it. So at least they might have started with one vine that could have been put in the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's, do you guys know that there's a seed bank? You guys know that there's like a yeah. seed bank in the world that like chas v'shalom, something terrible happens to like vegetation in the world. There's actually a couple of seed banks scattered around the globe so that so that just in case we have all of the different plants of the world so that they can be uh replanted uh, wow. it's an interesting set of jobs to have i don't i don't know i don't know like what what degree yeah. um you you get in order to be like the head of the international seed bank but it's a fascinating concept and so here too for noah right presumably not too many vineyards still hanging around post flood so where did where, where did the vines come from? And I saw an interesting piece on this too, to tease that a little bit. Um, where did the vineyard come from? How was he able to plant it if presumably they had all gotten wiped out? Yeah, great, great question. Okay, um, Rabbi Shapiro. Yes, Rabbi, yes, Rabbi Schatz. <laughs> um, 
Um, would you would you like to start? Like, did were any of these questions specifically connected to something that you would like to start with, or do you want me to just jump in with something, and you can comment on it? I, as always, will will do whatever you would prefer. What? Do you want me to start? Spoken like a true husband. Spoken like a true husband. Do you, do you, do you want, would you like for me to begin, Rabbi? I just, if there was a question that sparked, you just said that you spent a lot of time looking up the word Vayachel, for example. So I just wanted right. to know if there was something that you wanted to jump in with. Sure, sure. I'll scatter, I'll scatter a couple, I'll, I'll go with Matt. I'll scatter, scatter a couple of seeds and we'll, we'll see what, right. okay. we'll see if it, it pours me a, a cup of wine or something that I will be careful in drinking so as not to, to lose my cool over the course of the class. Um, I'll just say, uh, uh, Tali made, made an interesting comment to, to me asking about like the soil itself. Mm. And she also pointed out, um, going back to our conversation last week, that, that Kine was also like a man of the earth. And we saw how that worked out last week and drawing that <laughs> connection, which is, which is a really interesting yeah. one to, to point out as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll throw out sort of a, a meta thought and then a grammatical thought and then a more mystical thought. And then we'll see where things go from there. So the, the meta thought is, um, uh, I picked this verse, Rabbi Schatz did not. Uh, <laughs> As you, as you very have, meta, very good. <laughs> no, that wasn't the meta thought. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a statement of fact. Um, and you could ask the question even about the whole verse, verse twenty. Like, why include that at all? Okay, he planted a vineyard. Great. Like, so what? Um, I, I read a comment, uh, sort of like talking about the question of the the Torah itself. Right? Why does the Torah make a choice? to include certain psukim that, that don't seem to be teaching us anything particularly practical or narratively significant or profound. Um, and the, the, the sort of midrashic frame for it is there was a king, there's always a king, and there's always a king and his son. Uh, you don't have to be a master of metaphor to figure out why that's the, that's the construct. There was a king and his son. Uh, he sent his son out to go out in the world and explore and, and sort of taste from the world, like not, not, just like the delights of the castle, but to sort of become more immersed in the world. And over time, the the son became so acclimated to the world that even as the king sent his emissaries out with the delights of the castle to try to get him to come back, the son had become so immersed in the world that those things weren't appealing to him. And so in order to finally bring the son back to the castle, the king himself actually had to go out and sort of look like a commoner and find a way to connect with the son to in the ways in which he had become accustomed in order to like gradually bring him back to the castle. So applying that construct to the Torah itself, it's the sense that the Torah speaks intentionally in, in human language so that we can connect with it in terms of our own everyday life, which over time will, will bring us to the castle. And, and however you might understand what the castle is in and of itself is a fascinating conversation. The, the motivating question for me in terms of why these verses and how I'm finding them relevant in this moment, um, I'm thinking about the moment that we're in. I'm thinking about how we're all each kind of in our own Zoom box arc these days floating through this time and not sure 
when, when the dove might return with the branch so that we can uh, disembark safely. And in projecting forward to whatever that time might be that, that we can, can break free of, of this forum and be able to actually engage with each other face to face in three dimensions, I'm wondering how we respond to coming out of a period of confinement and, and I would even say, say trauma, right? How do we, how do we respond to coming out of that type of experience? If you actually think about what it must have been like for Noah to be heading into the ark with all of the animals, seeing the rain come down, seeing everyone he knows drown, that, that's a traumatic experience. And then to be confined, not just that the ark is is smelly, although I'm, I'm quite sure it was very smelly, but to be but to be mourning the loss of everyone he knew, with the exception of his family, with a lot of uncertainty about what might be happening moving forward, that that's a pretty challenging experience to be moving through and coming out of. And so I guess I'm viewing these verses through through that lens of Noah has has disembarked. He, he does offer a sacrifice to God. They sort of reestablish that covenant. He's moving forward. He's trying to figure out what, what's next in his life. And these, I think, are some verses that are giving us a little bit of a window into what Noah is going through as he's trying to, to reorient himself in the world. So that, that's, that's the meta comment, right? That, that's, for me, the comment that I'm thinking about in terms of why these verses, mundane though they may seem, offer us a way of kind of speaking us speaking to us in in language that we can sort of grasp and and consider and think about a little bit the the grammatical note um in terms of what the the vayichal might be um and i think connects a little bit to this meta frame is some of the mafarshim talk about sort of the potential dual meaning of that verb um and that chal um, it can be connected to lehatchil, right? To begin, right? Noah began to plant that vineyard, and also, if if you you can hear in the word as well, for those of you who are familiar with Hebrew, we talk about kodesh and chol, right? We talk about the the holy and the everyday, and so it's like Noah, sort of. St- start slash every deified himself as a person of the earth and planted a vineyard, right? Because again, translation is always interpretation. So, so, you know, it, it, how, how do you condense what a Hebrew word sort of connotes and might mean into a translation that accurately reflects that Noah mundanified and began as a person of the earth to do what he did next, which was planting a vineyard, if I was going to play with that translation a little bit. So through the lens of how we respond to a challenging, if not traumatic experience, it, it's interesting to sort of have that hyphenated verb as, as a something that, that would be the action that he took. Can I just, can I just jump in here for one second? You, CFA, you can jump in here for two seconds, Rabbi. Thank you. The Sifri yep. Chachamim actually, actually translated as he made himself profane, right? As he like actively tried to make himself base level as opposed to something differentiated and Kodesh as holy, right? Because, and what the Sifri Chachamim say is if it says he made himself profane, Right. We clearly need to know that because otherwise it could have just said, and Noah planted a vineyard. Right. Doesn't need, we don't need to know that it was a profane 
act or that he was making himself profane in order to do it. But it is interesting, as Rabbi Shapiro mentioned before, that if it's included in the verse, there must be some reason for us to right. need to know that that's what it means. And the other piece that I want to add just on this same word, see, this is why you went first, because then I can comment, um, that, uh, that in Breshit Rabbah, in the, in the Midrash on this part of the Torah, it also says that you get the word neat chalel, which means to be disgraced, and also chulin, which is a, a section of our Gemara, which means debased, right? And that those, that it could mean beginning, but it also could mean these other two words that Noah could have been feeling even at the same time when he left the ark and then, and then created the, the vineyard. Yeah. Back to you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and. I think it's it's those those verbs are particular those the, the under different understandings of that that verb are particularly interesting when you think about how Noach is described at the beginning of the story right Noach ish tzadik tamim hayabedorotav right Noach was a a righteous uh, and and sort of humble kind whole person in 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 his generation right and so there's of course the famous rabbinic debate does that mean that noah was objectively a tzaddik in any generation and especially in his generation because of how gnarly the whole situation was or is it just that noah was a tzaddik for his generation and his generation alone and tzaddikness is relative not ontologically assessed and so therefore he was a decent guy but new in this generation where we're also wonderful and holy noah noah wouldn't really register as a particularly uh, righteous dude so so we don't know right both of those interpretations kind of stand but given that noah is davka referred to as a tzaddik at the beginning of the Parsha, it's interesting as well to think about this, this particular verb and how it's, how it's cholifying him, right? Going so far as to potentially have the connotation of, of like disgrace, right? Like that, that's, that's a particularly interesting thing as well. It, it's also, and, and that connects to sort of the, 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 the mystically oriented piece that I was thinking about. I don't know if it's necessarily mystically oriented, but but it was a piece that I saw out of the Zohar. Ooh, everybody under 40, get off the call. Uh, okay, so Rabbi Shatzen, I'll see you later. Um, <laughs> but it <laughs> there was a, an interpretation um, that that actually connected the vine. This is going to, to Bonnie's question. Bonnie, you are a mystic. Bonnie, you've been reading the Zohar in your free time. That's so great that you've been doing that. That says that Noah actually took with him a vine from Gan Eden that Adam had eaten from, and he took it with him on the ark to have that vine that he could then plant after, after the flood itself kind of wrapped up. And there is, which, which I don't know, maybe. Uh, but it's, it's also interesting because there are, there are folks who talk about how Noah is kind of recapitulating, um, the challenge that, that Adam faced, right? And there, there are those who say that the, because of how problematic wine can be, you can understand that Adam back in the Garden of Eden made his mistake because of wine. And Noah either carried that with him because it was valuable or because he wanted to maybe like face that challenge again or whatever it might be. 
um, but but that there's there's that connection, right? Just as Adam was the first person, Noah is sort of first person 2.0, right? After after the flood, and so there's that kind of um, literary connection in terms of what Adam faced and now what Noah was facing, which goes back to that question of how we respond to challenging um, or or uncertain circumstances. Um, particularly then also with an eye towards what Elon was asking about in terms of the, the sense of, is it, is it okay to drink and just not overdo it? Right. Is, is that what happens in terms of what, what Noah was doing? Is that what Adam did? And now is this also, um, the challenge, the challenge that, that Noah is facing? Um, so, so I don't know, Bonnie, if, if that, (laughs) if that literary connection stands for you, uh, but you have successfully intuited the Zohar. So, Good job intuiting the Zohar. Um, I think that this is a this is a verse that when Alex Shapiro first brought it to me, I was like, "Oh, sure, we can talk about it if you really <laughs> like." It. Um, but the more that I think about it, the more it's actually an extremely profound verse, especially when thinking about the this word vayachel. When we think about the times that we use wine. They are the opposite of whole. They're the opposite of being made profane. They are moments that we make kiddush, right? That we make kadosh, that we distinctly say, this is a way that I am going to sanctify this moment and make this moment holy. So the fact, and this is kind of a half-baked thought, but the fact that Noah was planting something that would produce holiness but that in order to plant that which would produce holiness, he had to make himself more down to earth, quite literally, is really, really profound. That sometimes we need to find those moments of holiness in the most basic of levels. And to go back to Rabbi Shapiro's original point of how this has so much to do with what we're going through right now, right? in some ways we are living our most basic lives right now. Because we're at home, we're not going for, you know, beautiful vacations and expensive dinners. And we are, we are basically living. We are just doing what we need to get done as employees, as parents, as siblings, as uh, children, right? We're doing what we need to do to live in the confines of the world that we live in. But it's very basic. So we need to find those holy moments. So that that's one thing that that I'm now thinking about um, that I will think even more about, I'm sure, as as this continues. But right. can I can I can yes. I jump in on that? Oh, I guess you can. OK, cool. So so I also saw a piece that was talking about um, that at, that asked the question. But but like but isn't wine a good thing? Right. Going to what you're saying that yeah. like we sanctify. Yeah. Shabbat Hagim through wine that it, that it, that it can be seen as like wine is lifting the spirit and what, and it, and it made the point as well that to any mitzvah, there's always the sort of um, condition requirement that, that you shouldn't engage in baltosif, right? And Elon, this goes much more specifically to what, to what you were asking that in any mitzvah, you're supposed to fulfill the mitzvah, but, but don't go overboard. Yeah. Right. You shouldn't add to it so much. Right. Like have kid. Right. Right. Say the bracha, make kiddish. But making kiddish doesn't mean pound the whole bottle. 
right? Like you you can sanctify something, but but sanctification is also something that happens in proper measure, right? And so then there's the challenge of, okay, well, how is that calibrated? What does that mean, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought particularly, Rabbi Shatz, what you're talking about in terms of noticing the distinction of Kodesh and Chol in the act yeah. of, of planting a vineyard, this sense yeah. of what's, what's proper measure, what's balance, how do you gauge that, um, right. particularly right. in a time of challenge, right? I, th- I think it might be harder now right? To gauge like, what's, what's the proper measure of this versus that? Well, I'm in this whole different situation. How do I know? Do I shift that? Do I not? Um, and yeah. for Noah coming off the ark, potentially um, challenging as well. And, and also this idea of, of him being Ishta Adama, right? He, I forget who mentioned this, but he had been on a ship for a very long time. How can you say that you're a man of land? when you haven't really spent a lot of time on land. And so to use the land as a way of creating something holy is just a, a way that I never thought about this moment that I've glossed over many times <laughs> before. Um, and everyone focuses on exactly the point that some of you wanted to jump in and focus on at the beginning, which is the part that comes next which is that he's drunk and that inappropriate behavior ensues. And so we forget that the vineyard was even planted. As Jackie said, like there's a lot of time that had to go into this. And yet we forget completely that this took time and, and work and real um, sanctification, real, real focus to make it actually grow. Um, okay, Elon, and then I'm going to keep going with one thought here. Yeah, I mean, uh, going off on that a little bit, the reason that it occurred to me that that of the inclusion of verse 20 is that actions have consequences and right. even unintended consequences. So the tie of verse 20 to verse 21 is that he plants a vineyard. Great. Um, what did he expect to come of that vineyard? You would get uh, grapes to make wine. But like every action there, one has to be careful about what the ultimate, what can happen, right? And and that and that very often, and I, we see that today that uh, that um, you know actions have consequences and unintended consequences, and that's what I think the key is of uh, for me, including verse twenty. Great, you you the part that I was going to say before I called on you is exactly in response to that, um, and it's by Sforno. Sforno actually says. And I'll just read the English for time's sake. It says, Vayechel Noach means, and Noach began. That's how Sforno is defining it. Since Noah's first undertaking was an unworthy one, it led to disgraceful consequences, illustrating that a small flaw at the outset of an endeavor leads to a large one in the end. Right, so so Sforno also is comparing these two things and saying that Vayechel must mean began, because it's the beginning of this arc that you're pointing out for us, Elon, and I think that Sforno's going even farther to assume that it goes even beyond that that moment with his sons to the rest of his life, right? That you, if you start something, if you throw a stone into a pond, right, you see that ripple effect. And so you see how doing one thing causes consequence for anything that comes afterwards. And so Sforno believes that it has to mean began as opposed to made himself profane or or brought himself down because there was an ending. 
and that ending was the consequence to this beginning. Um, so th there's one other piece that I want to share, though I also looked up the Zohar, which is only probably surprising to Rabbi Shapiro. Um, but it was, <laughs> I also saw that part in the Zohar. So, um, so very interesting, a very interesting piece for sure. And this, and the Targum Yonatan, um, says on that, on that piece that the vine was found in a river that came out of the Garden of Eden, uh, and then the and then the vineyard was planted from it. So just a different interpretation on where kind of that first seedling came from. But this is the part that I want to share with you, and it's from a Dvar Torah that Rabbi Adina Allen gave from the Jewish Studio Project, and this is what she this is what she says. The Zohar explores Noah's character, imagining a different ending one in which Noah is radically changed through the experience of the flood. When Noah exited the ark, he opened his eyes and saw the whole world destroyed and began to cry, the Zohar says. Another piece in the Zohar has Noah pleading to God, Master of the universe, you are called compassionate. You should have been compassionate with your creation. After living through near total destruction, now Noah's heart is opened. Now his tears flow forth. Now he feels the weight of what has been lost and what the and that the walls of the ship can't protect him from the devastation of this new reality. It took nearly all of life on earth being wiped out for Noah to open to his tears, to cry out to God and to imagine a different path. Noah, it would seem from this text until the very end, felt nothing. And so he risked nothing. What if his heart had opened sooner? So. When Rabbi Shapiro and I were first speaking about this text, he said something that that really that really resonated with me that why was this the first act? Why was the first act of Noah something that was out of control? Right? That that Noah decided that he was going to not only plant a vineyard, but that he was going to become drunk that he just unraveled, he completely unraveled because his life was unraveling, right? His, his life was overwhelming. He had just spent a lot of time on a ship with family and animals and saving the world. And now he just unraveled because there were no boundaries anymore. And as Adina Allen mentions, all of the emotion comes out and, and he begins to start to explore without boundaries and that leads to him doing all of these things that because they were boundaryless they had consequences so i i really i think that this is, oh rabbi shapiro you in the back or 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 the opposite or the complete opposite not complete opposite but i'm th but i'm thinking as well going back to jackie's comment earlier about the time that elapses yeah right yeah. M maybe like Maybe being Isha Adama indicates that like he was he was reconnecting with the land, which is an important thing to do after you've been floating around on a boat for months and months. Right, and right. then he planted a vineyard because it's good to be planting things. And yeah. maybe he planted the vineyard for the sake of being Kadosh and being yeah. able to elevate and engage in a process of partnering with God, like taking the grapes from grapes to wine. And that's a, a right. But then as things proceed that's 
that's the process of unraveling, right? It's between verses 20 and 21, right? That's the ellipsis. Mm -hmm. He started out with this goal. And then over the months that the, the grapes are, right, the grapes grow and then the wine ferment, right? And then they ferment and then it becomes wine. Maybe that's the process, right? It starts out with this sense of sort of good, good intentions, right? And, and, it's happening in the chat and in the conversation, right? The sense of, of that actions have consequences, right? But at, at what point in the process are you held responsible for that? Sure. Right? Is he responsible at Gila, right? He had the, the idea of planting a vineyard. So, so things per Sforno fell apart from there. Or, or was it later on in, in this sense that he, he planted the vineyard with good intentions, maybe even holy aspirations, but then things kind of unraveled as as the like the PTSD and and the the consequences of of everything you know that that happened per, like because of the flood. Um, yeah, I mean, Chizkuni does say that exactly that that he gets back onto the land and then he similar to what our our other characters in our Bible do later on, where they build altars. His altar was to do something with the land, right? He was praising. God for being on land and having this land now be theirs, um, for sure. I think that, I think that the point that that Adina is making that I that I love about this Kodesh whole business is that even if he didn't know it, right? Even if his actions were sending him into a tizzy almost, that I agree with you that there's that ellipses in between the two the two verses where every everything has to be also maintained to create that wine. And by the time the wine is made, he just goes crazy because he's so, he's so glad that it's there. So glad that he made it or something. This is my own commentary. Obviously it doesn't say anything like that, but that if, if he had had more regulation, if there had been, if there had been more therapy done based on the experience he had had in the ark, would that moment of of Chol been seen as Kadosh, right? Would that moment of him taking that wine, taking those grapes and making it into something, been seen as a holy act rather than how we see it, and especially how it's seen and continued of the story as something that was more of a consequence and more kind of animalistic than, than seen as a holy, distinguished moment? And I don't know, I don't know the answer, but it's something that I think is present in, in these two verses that seem somewhat simple and yet are extremely complex. I see Bonnie, I think, is raising her, I think Bonnie's seeing, raising her hand. So um, what I'm drawn to is the fact that he, he needed, he did all of this. And I don't know, it doesn't say anything about what anybody else was doing. Were they not in his corner? Was he working all alone and struggling? And so when he finally got this wine, he did a little overdoing, which brings it back to your point, Rabbi Shapiro, about our being in a pandemic and going out. We see that today, young people going out and not paying attention, overdoing um, and paying consequences. So I know there's a lot of lot of questions. Yeah. That, I, I love that 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 hadn't even occurred to me, and I think it's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant point, Bonnie. That that all of these um, all of these verbs are singular, right? How how challenging it is 
to navigate a, a tough time period. Um, but then not to be doing that in relationship with it. Right. And then was that a choice? Was that a proactive choice on Noah's part that he, he wanted to be by himself or was it just everyone was so isolated and, and couldn't connect with each other. And so that was why he took this on himself um, instead of doing it with others. Um, I, I, I love that. I, I, I hadn't thought of that. And I love, I think that that really highlights some of the, the pieces that we've been talking about. Thanks for that. Yeah. Renee, you got your hand up too. Yeah. Again, I want to focus on where were the where were the where were the sons? Like, why weren't they keeping an eye on or helping the dad with the vineyard? Or right. what? How, how did he get drunk? Like, what were they doing while he was getting drunk? Right, right, sim, sim, right. A similar putting an even finer point on the question about um, Noah doing this by himself. Right, where, where's his family? Right, we're 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 told that. His family that they were all the lone survivors. You you would think that family um, would would sort of bond and bind together coming out of this, and yet he's he's very much alone until after this, you know these these choices that that he has made. Yeah, um, they're starting life again. He's he wasn't alone to start life again. Why aren't they yeah. helping him restart life? Yeah. There's a there's a few questions floating around in the chat that I just want to name out. Jackie's Jackie's sort of reflecting back to this question of plants, right? We at least know of one of one plant that that survived the flood, right? The the olive tree that the that the dove gets the branch from. We we didn't prep these verses, but from what I remember, we're sort of told that like a the olive tree is particularly hardy, and b that it's like up up on a mountain. Right. And as the waters are subsiding, like the olive tree is sort of like the one, the one like little thing. I think about like a, uh, you know, going snorkeling, right? Like the, the olive tree is like the snorkel kind of like poking, uh, poking out of, out of the water, um, somehow, but still, right. Again, like not, not a gardener, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, we, we are, we are pretty good at taking, taking care of children in our house. We are very bad at taking care of plants. Like any plant that somebody gives us, it like, it, it, it wilts within like three days maximum. Our upstairs neighbors gave us like an orchid to watch when they were out of town. And that was, that was a bad choice. We had to buy them a new orchid. Um, so I don't know much about plants, but, but my understanding, at least from, from the, the rabbis is that there's this sense that the olive tree was kind of like, like poking, poking up. Um, I think it's and- also fair for us to imagine that even though we're talking when the Torah says that we're talking about the whole world, that, we, we probably aren't, right? We're probably not talking about the entire planet. We're probably talking about the part of the world that that we were supposed to know about when this was being told to us, right? So the part that when you, when you hear stories of ancient peoples, they also thought that their location was the world, right? As opposed to the entirety of an actual planet. So... Uh, yeah, I I think that I which think still which still gives you the question of where the vine comes from. Right, right. right. I, I think, think you're did on. he have to, did he have to import it? I'm, I think that you're on to something, Jackie. That probably the the branch, probably the branch was from somewhere that wasn't being impacted by this flood, and so too maybe 
the the vineyard, right? Maybe somehow, as we all know, based on natural calamity and and um, and disaster, that when things get moved around by water, there's now new things that happen upon the land that we've never seen before because they're getting brought to us. So I think that that's also a a definite possibility without knowing anything about plants. And uh, Neora, your your question about the the whole in Vayachel emphasizing um, the the everydayness that that was a connection that that I was making right that that we can sort of say like the, because 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 that's the that's the sort of phrase that that because it's making a point to say that he's ishadama in that same phrase if we're understanding whole as sort of like the everyday to to me those that that cluster of language all all sort of might might flow in that kind of way, but that's that's. It's also in the midrash. It's also in Brashit Rabbah that the that that same word. I can send it to you. Like the the um, what's it called? The verses and whatnot. The citation. That's the word I was looking for. Never. Um, but it also speaks about how that word is used and defined uh, um, differently. The there there's there's one more kind of half half thought that I'll share um, as we as we wrap up in a couple of minutes because I was I was really struck by this concept of of Noah Ishadama and 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 why and where and I and if you look a little bit back when Noah is named his 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 dad actually gives a reason for his name that specifically mentions Adama. And we, we don't always get reasons for names in the Torah. And because Adama is specifically mentioned there, and then also specifically mentioned here, mm-hmm. um, I think I think that's something. I have like 60% of a thought on that, but but it's interesting for me to be recognizing how those two pieces kind of hyperlink to each other. Mm-hmm. So when it says like Vaikra et Shimon Noah, like he was he was named Noah, he was called Noah, saying this one, right? Right. This one will provide us relief from our work and from the toil of our hands. Uh, right. Out of the very soil, uh, which God has cursed. Right. Like you, you talk about foreshadowing, right? that this guy, this, this kid of mine is going to provide us relief from our work, from the toil of our hands out of the soil upon which God has placed a curse. That's really interesting, right? When you think about foreshadowing, right? We, we are told at the very, very beginning of the story that Noah is going to be providing relief sort of out of and because of like this cursed land right? This land that God has cursed. And we're hearing about that at the beginning of the story. And now after the flood, Noah is being specifically referred to as Ish Hadama. We're on the other side of the flood. Has he really provided comfort? He's at least led to the survival of humanity. So that's, that's something. I don't know if that's comfort, but it's at least continuing, right? The story of humanity. And God has cursed the land per Noah's dad. God cursed the land. Now the land has been wiped clean. And now Noah is specifically referred to Ish Adama. But then he goes and makes some questionable at best choices in terms of how that Adama, 
how that land is being used. So, so I just think that that, that connection is, is striking to me. Like I said, I think, I think that's like 60%, maybe 65% of a thought. Um, but I, but I think midrashically, right? If we think about how words in the Torah connect to and illuminate each other, um, well, and it interestingly goes back to Bonnie's point of where was everybody else, right? If if the idea is that that his hands will will relieve us almost from the work that we have to do of the land, that where is everybody else toiling this land, and is it the case that that he that his choices post that vineyard are, as Elon brought to us way at the beginning, were consequences, was that because no one helped him, right? Was that because no one did exactly what they named Noah to do here, which was have people around him to help him and to and to lift those people up rather than to just do it on his own? Um, that's real. I had never thought about that connection before. So thank you for bringing that. And Jackie, yeah, you're right. I think that it's funny that a man known for water is, is connected to the, to the land. And yet it, it says something really powerful about how we're known because we're not just known based on the things that we, that we do all the time, but we're also known for the things that we do that are profound that maybe we don't do as often, but are profound things that we, that we put out into the world. Um, any last thoughts, Rabbi Shapiro? I, like I said, I, I think these these verses provide some interesting fodder for us to think about in terms of sort of the how to and the how to not right respond to challenging times. And for us, oh, my internet connection is unstable. I might have just glitched. You're fine. Um, um, oh, good. I'm fine. Um, just for us to be thinking about in terms of how we navigate this time and and in terms of Noah as a, as a character in the story, right? That we think about him. Um, was he or wasn't he really at Sadiq? What did it mean for him to be sort of a leader in terms of ensuring that humanity would survive? And then what what is the impact on him as he then sort of, it seems like struggles, you know, but but still right? he, humanity survives and then he struggles in the wake of that. And for us, as we navigate challenging times, right, what are the things that we can do to move through um, our own, you know, challenges and, and what are the healthy choices that, that we can make through that? I'll, I'll highlight again Bonnie's really beautiful point, um, how, how critical relationship is, right? That, that's, that's where I'm kind of landing. So thank you again, Bonnie, for, for holding that up. I know for me moving through this time, how critical relationship is and how it's keeping me um, as sane as possible. Um, and, and I think that that's a really lovely thought that I'll be lingering on, um, and holding on to these verses. So thanks again for that, Bonnie. Beautiful point. And I'll just add that, that thinking about this, thinking about Noah as a person for whom over time, just in the way that he is named, which we just heard from Rabbi Shapiro to the end of his story, he changes a lot. There are a lot of moments of change for Noah and how that is almost based upon relationships, what he gets told to do by God, what he then does for himself, his relationship with his children, which follows immediately after this story. And so what does it mean for us to find the person that we actually wish to be in this world? Um, who do we surround ourselves with? 
what are the decisions that we make that we know might have consequences, but that will otherwise also allow us to try out new new pieces of ourselves to land on the person that we want to be. So knowing that from the beginning, Noah was an, was, Noah was an Ish Sadiq Bedorotav in his in his generation. Um, I hope that each of us is able to over Shabbat think about how we bring those moments of holiness and Kedusha to figuring out how we can also be uh, the most righteous that we can be in our in our time in our generation. To land on the kind of person we want to be. Did you do that intentionally? I did not, but thank you so much for ending our, our studying with that. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.